Why, hello there. Welcome to Biblical Chili. Now listen, the cruise is just about to start. Let me fill you in on a few details if you've never been here before. You see, we speak openly about the Bible and our daily walk with Christ. And it's our continuing prayer that we help you grow closer to Jesus every day. Now, you might be wondering why it's called Biblical Chili. You see, around this table, we have people from all walks of life, different histories, backgrounds, different futures, even different religious views. But even with all these differences, that shouldn't hinder us from carrying on a conversation. And you stepped in at a good time, too, because the Chili Crew is walking through the Bible from cover to cover. And right now, they're in the book of Exodus. Moses talking to a burning bush, plagues, Exodus out of slavery, and the Ten Commandments. Woo, this gives me the collywobbles just thinking about it. Today we're going to be reading in Exodus chapter 18. So just as a quick rehash of, of chapter 17 and a little bit before that. They've already, been, they've already crossed the Red Sea. They're surviving the wilderness literally by the grace of God because God is sending them food, water, and then they were attacked. Uh, when the Amalekites attack. So uh, we're in chapter 18. So at this point, they're arriving at the base, apparently at the base of Mount Sinai. And I got, let's, let's just go in. Uh, 18, uh, Exodus chapter 18, verse one. And Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people, that the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, to, and I noticed that too through this whole chapter. They they really is there another Jeff Jethro that I don't know about? No, <laughs> you'd think they could say that the first time and then and then yeah. make the point. Well, I mean, Moses is writing this, isn't isn't he? So like, is he really trying to like talk up his his father-in-law? Like after he was done writing Exodus, was he like, hey, father-in-law Jethro, <laughs> this is what I wrote about, right? I, I don't know. I just, I found it funny. I was, I was zipping through this before he's we just started. Like Jethro's so cool. He's so happy to be related to him. You know, he's like, just right. keeps, this is my father-in-law. Don't you forget it. Yeah. Don't you forget this bucko. Okay. So then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law took Zipporah, his wife, after he had sent her back with her two sons of whom the name was one Jer- Jerashom which means for, he said, I have been a stranger in a foreign land. And the name of the other was Eliezer or it's not Eliezer. That's Eliezer, right? Yeah, I think Eliezer. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. L-E-I-E-Z-E-R. For he said, the God of my father was my help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law came with his sons and his wife to Moses in the wilderness where he was encamped at the mountain of God. Before this, did Moses send his wife and his sons ahead, like on a caravan or something? At some point was like, okay, listen, we're going at like a snail's pace. It's going to take us forever to get there. You guys might as well ride the camel and get there first. Well, okay, I'm not sure about this, but it seems to me that when he flees Egypt after he murders that guy, he flees Egypt and he goes to Midian, meets Jethro, gets married. And then I think when he goes back to Egypt, he just goes by himself. So I don't think he's been with his wife and family like 
this whole time. I think they've been safe in Midian. Yeah, but didn't they, back in like chapter 8 or something? Remember when, oh no, actually, I don't think you were there for that episode. Oh no. Uh, So this is Exodus chapter 4. And it came to pass on the way at the encampment that the Lord met him and sought to kill him. Talking about Moses. Then Zipporah took out a sharp stone and cut off the foreskin of her son and cast it at Moses' feet. So it sounds like they were all on their way. So they left Jethro because up above there, it says, you know, Jethro said, go in peace. But it seems he did take his wife and kids with him. Yeah, I don't know. So, yeah, I'm just saying it right here in in verse uh, chapter 18, verse, it looks like verse 2, it says, uh, father-in-law Sapporah, wife, after he had sent her back. So at some point, apparently, I would guess it'd be after the Red Sea. Otherwise, that'd be really bad if he, like, sent her back home and she had to go the long way around. <laughs> now he had said to Moses, I, your father-in-law Jethro. Oh, it's a, yeah, it's a title he gave. <laughs> he gave himself. Uh, I, your father-in-law Jethro, I'm coming to you with your wife and her two sons with her. Apparently sent out a messenger. Verse 7. So Moses went out to meet his father-in-law, bowed down and kissed him, and they asked each other about their well-being. And they went Aww. into the tent. Oh, this is, see, this nice. is a good relationship. <laughs> this is a really good relationship. Uh, verse 8. And Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake. All the hardship that had came upon them on the way and how the Lord had delivered them. So I wonder if it was like a dude, you should have been there kind of moment. <laughs> You'd think if Moses's wife was there for all of this, she would have told Jethro all this stuff already. Or maybe she's like, you know what? You'll see Moses in a couple days. I'm exhausted. Uh, verse 9. Then Jethro rejoiced for all the good which the Lord had done for Israel, whom he had delivered out of the hand of the Egyptians. And Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord, who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh, and who has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all the gods, for in the very thing in which they behave proudly. He was above them. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, took a burnt offering and other sacrifices to offer to God. And Aaron came with the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. I I, I wonder if, because remember how like the whole sacrificial system was like a, a, a certain way? And I know this ha- that hasn't quite been established yet in here, but I wonder if... Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, stuck to this same type of sacrificial system because he was the the like the the high priest of Midian or whatever, right? Yeah, well, I think when when this, you know, tabernacle sacrificial system came out, it wasn't something new. Like it's probably something that they were familiar with and that other cultures did within their, you know, in their temples or whatever. So I'm sure Jethro, who seems like he worships God, some idea. I mean, and they've been doing offerings and sacrifices this whole time. For a little while. So, yeah. I mean, yeah, all the way back to Abraham. And that that would have been, what, 500, 600 years before this point? 
I mean, all the way back. Roughly. I mean, even Noah, like when he gets off the ark, he he yeah. the first thing he does is give, you know, do a burnt offering and sacrifice. And of the like... he said of, of one of every clean animal, I think he sacrificed. Yeah, and then there's the whole Cain and Abel thing where they're giving their offerings. Right. You know, like there's so you know that that concept. I love how they say, you know, that they're eating a meal before God. Because all of the food that was sacrificed to God, that was that was food for the Levites. Like, that's what they ate. Right. So it's like they were invited every day to dine <laughs> at God's table with God. It was just like a giant barbecue I was just going to say, you know? <laughs> sounds like a barbecue with God. <laughs> yeah. It's like we think it's so... I mean, and when you read it, I mean, you're like, that sounds kind of gruesome. But when you think about how any animal that we eat is taken apart, you know, it's, it is kind of gruesome. But well, well it, really, it was because, and this is this is going to come much later. But it was awesome because they also had what the the fork of the priests. Remember, it was a tined fork. I don't know if you remember this. It was a tined fork, so it was like a, one of those spearfish type of hook forks. So it had tines going the other direction, like a fish hook. And it said that they were supposed to, while the sacrifice was burning, they were supposed to stick it into the sacrifice at the meatiest part and tear off basically a roast, like tear off as much as they can with that one giant fork that they would. And so I could see that, like, I just, it sounds interesting now that you say it like that, because it sounds like, okay, we're going to have, we're going to have a meal that sounds, smells like it's cooked enough, you know? Like, yeah. It's like, let's take our, you know, we have that, um fork that's just like the two prongs you know yeah, that people yeah. use to like dig into me it says like let's see if it's ready and you dig it you like <laughs> take a piece off and try it like it's it's probably it's all they were doing <laughs> before god okay so let's continue on verse 13 and so it was on the next day that moses sat to judge the people and the people stood before moses from morning until evening so when moses father-in-law saw all he did for the people. He said, what is this thing that you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone? And all the people stand before you from morning until evening. And Moses said to his father-in-law, because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have difficulties, they come to me and I judge between one and the other and make known the statutes of God and his laws. So and we kind of talked about this beforehand. I just want to bring this up as, a, as another kind of side point that this this is quite clear that Moses this whole time was teaching God's like statutes and laws. And that's I just I'm trying to emphasize that just because uh, uh, there are a lot of people that believe that the, the Ten Commandments came into existence when Moses was given the physical stone tablets. But it was he was talking about it way before then. So, like, he was talking about God's laws and statutes way before then. It's interesting because we see that Moses had, you know, he had personal encounters with God. So, they're coming to him because, you know, he had those personal encounters. So, he he understand, he has more understanding and he's learned about God and his character. So, God's statutes and his laws and what he's teaching them and how to judge dispute and how to treat your neighbor and how to do all these things, he's just... He's just learned from his close encounters with God. So all of these things, you know, they're logical. It's like if you're in a, that close, loving relationship with God, you know, you're going to experience that and you're going to be revealed those things. 
you can see it in all the nature around you. You know, they're coming to Moses. He didn't have it written down for him. You know, he just had those experiences. And from what he's from what he's seen, that he can righteously judge disputes and he can teach people God's ways and teach him his, you know, statutes and laws. And I think we kind of forget, you know, that it's like they they make it makes sense. Not like something you just have to. I'm doing this because I was told to do it. Every time I encounter God and he reveals himself to me, like it's, you know, I'm learning and it. It makes sense. So I'm gonna sh- I'm gonna share something with you on the screen here. Ah, there we are. So this is just kind of like a, a very quick uh, little image, and it, it compares the mirror of God's character in Luke eighteen nineteen. It says that God is good, but then in Romans seven twelve, it says that the law is good. And this is like a perfect connection between God God and his law, meaning meaning the Ten Commandments and what it reflects, and God's character. The Bible says in several verses, so this is just a lot of verses. If you guys want the context, I can I can drop it down in the in the link below. So it says that God is good and the law is good. God is holy and the law is holy. God is just and the law is just. God is truth and the law is truth. God is perfect, the law is perfect. God is non-burdensome and the law is non-burdensome. God is light, the law is light. God is love, the law is love. God is righteousness, and the law is righteousness. God is pure, the law is pure. God is spiritual, the law is spiritual. God is unchanging, and the law is unchanging. Uh, God is eternal, and the law is eternal. So that's that's a really good point that you bring up. Oh, you should just send me that because that's really cool. Yeah, it's like, like I I know all those things, and I you know see it in scripture and read about it, and it's like okay, obviously this is all good and it's a reflection of God, but to see the, all the um, first references and how they mirror both like that's just a really cool tool. I want right. to like look them all up and read them. <laughs> I know. And that, that's, that's my thing too, is, is I've, somebody showed this kind of thing to me before and it blew me away. I'm like, what? No. Cause I've never been shown this before. And I, I looked into it a little bit and I go, Wow. God is love. The law is love. Like there's a, there's a lot here. There's a lot here than, than, than many people may think. So, so, okay. So verse 17, uh, verse 17. So Moses' father-in-law said to him, the thing that you do is not good. Both you and these people who are with you will surely wear yourselves out for this thing is too much for you. You are not able to perform it by yourself. Listen now to my voice. I will give you counsel and God will be with you. Stand before God for the people so that you may bring the difficulties to God. And you shall teach them the statutes and the laws and show them the way in which they must walk and the work they must do. Moreover, you shall select from all the people able men, such as fear God, men of truth, hating covetousness, and place such over them to be rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, and rulers of fifties, and rulers of tens. Verse 22, And let them judge the people at all times. Then it will be that every great matter they shall bring to you, but every small matter they themselves shall judge. So it will be easier for you, for they will hear the burden with you. I'm sorry, they will bear the burden with you. Uh, Verse 23, if you do this thing and God so commands you, then you will be able to endure and 
all this people will also go to their place in peace. One thing I find very interesting about this is I've kind of seen how how this type of thing is really useful, and I wish more churches would. What Moses' father-in-law, Jethro, was saying was that Moses needs to disciple people. Like he needs to teach the people to be, if, if you will, spiritually self-sufficient almost. I, I almost want to say that. I know that sounds kind of contradictory, but they need to be able to grow on their own. They need to make sure that their spiritual uh, food does not just come from Moses. And I think that's something that, that Jethro really gave Moses that was honestly a, probably a God blessing, not just wearing him out. Cause I mean, think about it. He's just sitting there all day long hearing complaints. Uh, but like he's, like he was saying, then they can judge themselves. Basically it's teaching people to be, if I, if I can say it this way, and I hope nobody misunderstands me, teaching the rest of the people to be a little Moses so that they're all learning instead of just putting all their trust, all their weight, all their, all their burden on to Moses, they're taking some, like he said here, they're taking some of that burden on themselves. And by doing that, they're becoming spiritually stronger. Cause now if they're, if they're with the people, they're like, well, no, this may not be the best decision. So I judge that this person was right. You were, you need to pay recompense. Well, then guess what? Their own actions as a leader, they're going to be rethinking some of the stuff they do. Cause now they're going to be looked at as the judge you know, and it's going to give that that circle of, of growth in, in the camp. Right. Well, and how, I mean, this, you know, this isn't a command, but this is a very wise counsel, you know, and it shows the importance of how we need, honestly, we need that guidance and that community and how it's, it's wise, even in a group of 10, you know, like have someone over you so that you're, that you're learning and you're growing not that you can't do that on your own but i feel like some people they're very even against teachers and they're like some like there's the classic church where they're like you need to ask your pastor about everything and then there's like the other side where they're like the holy spirit will tell me everything i need to know like on my own <laughs> disband structure yeah and they're kind of like very isolated <laughs> but i think that this this is important that it's supposed to be a system of you know you are learning and then you know you're gonna you're going to be that person. You might be in a group of 10 and, and you're the one that's going to come up. That's supposed to lead that small group. You're like, okay, I only, you know, I'm a stay at home mom and my circle are like my four neighbors on the street, but you know, maybe you were put there <laughs> to help them grow and shepherd them. Like, and how, you know, each community, it's really is important to kind of have that, that trickle down, but it's, it's all about growing you know it's not like it's it's not hierarchy you know it's not like you're like higher up than someone it's that it's that like in the you know parent like first you know your your kids and then you become parents and you have your own kids and you teach those kids and then you have grandchildren and and you're not you're not just kind of parenting your own kids you're also helping with the grandkids you're passing your wisdom on to them and on to your kids and like it just kind of keeps growing and well, and, and uh, you, you just said like the classic church, like there's the super this way and then the super that way. Yeah. And I know people on both sides. Oh, no. <laughs> I, I'm just saying like I, the churches I've, I was in, it was almost always, it was almost always put on the pastor. You know what I mean? Yes. Like it, it was almost always that. But then I, I started going to the church I go to now and it's the pastor is actually not the one in charge. 
he is there to shepherd the flock and that's it. Like he is just there to teach and to help and to be a servant. And the ones who actually like care for the church, like make some of the higher decisions are actually the elders. And then b- right. below them, the it's, it's the deacons and you know, an elder can be a deacon, but I'm just saying like, okay, we're going to be doing something. Okay. Deacon, you know what I mean? Like it was the, the tens and the thousands. And I've never seen that structure in a church until I started going to the mile seventh day Advent church. And I'm like, wow, it, it actually is pretty cool because I've never seen a church like function without the pastor there. If you know what I mean? Like, I don't want that to sound bad, right. but <laughs> I've, I never witnessed that. I mean, I know there's probably a lot of churches that don't even have a pastor and the elders do just fine, but I never right. witnessed that until I came here. Yeah. Or even just things as simple as if you're like, like I've been in a lot of small groups and a lot of times the small group questions are pronounced about the, the sermons that were done before, you know, there were also kind of probably written by the pastor, like, all right, here's what you guys are going to talk about in your small group, like study questions about what my sermon was about. And then it's like, if you start asking questions, you know, the people leading the small group might be like, well, you should ask the pastor about those questions, you know, <laughs> instead of being like, well, why don't we just figure it out right now? Like, right. I don't feel like that's his role to be the know all, like, you know, he's just a human who. Right. As, as, as other church members and as other pe- body of the Christ, we, we ourselves should take some of that as, as it says in here, the burden, that little bit of burden to try to. Right. Cause yeah, and you know, God, he's not supposed to be burdensome in any way, you know? So just even having this one person, we can see that that's not good. You know, Moses, he was so close to God, but it wasn't good for him to take all that on himself. So even if someone is as amazing as Moses and like knows God so well, it isn't wrong about like anything, you know, they still shouldn't take that on themselves. It's too big of a burden and that should be shared so that it's not. And that, you know, and everyone can have the opportunity to, to get closer to God. So. Absolutely. Yeah. I don't know. I, I just, I, I appreciate that. It, it brings that growth. So, so Moses and Jethro were, were setting up the first church is what they were doing. No. Uh, <laughs> this structure doesn't sound that different from what most churches like try to do right uh okay so verse 24 so moses heeded the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he had said and moses chose able men out of all israel and made them heads over people rulers over thousands rulers over, over hundreds rulers over fifties rulers over tens so they judged the people at all times and the hard cases they brought to Moses, but they judged every small case themselves. Then Moses let his father-in-law depart, and he went his way to his own land. Okay, I do have a question about this. Israel was complaining a lot, and they were not solidified as a people at all. How did Moses find these, what, what did it say? How do, how these, these heads over people. So how did he find these good people to be rulers? If, if in chapters before it was saying, you know, and the whole congregation complained, like how, did they learn a lesson within those last couple of weeks of going to Mount Sinai? I think that they still are very organized and probably, you know, they're, family heads all of that like their you know tribes were established before they went into egypt the whole reuben simeon you know 
Judah, all of that. Yep. And I bet they were still very much track. We're tracking their family lineage at that point. So already it was probably broken down into those smaller groups. And then you have smaller groups within that. So I, I bet they just were organized that way. Trying to understand it because it sounds like there's still a lot of like spoiled brat syndrome here or complaining thing. I mean, you can still be very organized and still kind of be a spoiled brat, you know? Like, I don't think that those necessarily go together. So it's like, I think it's very cultural, too, just to have very strong, you know, family lineage. And imagine even not that long ago, you know, when you had, like, three generations living in one home. So if you knew, if you had your grandma living with you, you know, she probably, you probably could have had all of her siblings live. Like, then they had you know, not just little single homes like we do. They had, like, estates where they had all their <laughs> servants and all their... I mean, at the time, Israel was servants, so I don't know. They probably didn't have their own servants, but, like... Well, I don't know. They might I have, just, because there were some of the Egyptians that went with them and some of the Egyptian servants that went with them. You know what I mean? Like, there was a lot of people right. that left with them, so I don't know if they were considered free or Yeah, or I just think the the household, like... In our culture now, our households are so small and like we don't even like a lot of people don't even care about the last generation of their family, you know, but that's that's relatively new. And back then, especially in like Middle Eastern, you know, you would have known your family back generations and you would have known your lineage and you would have known every person who is related to you at all. And you all probably would have lived on the same all the, all the way back to Father Reuben himself, and you know, right. yeah. So I think just broken up that way from those like different family units, like they they were structured enough to be like, all right, they probably had their own heads at that point within their families. So it was like, give me all the the main people in charge from each tribe from each family and come and then you guys go and you you say it to all the people that you have in your little tribes and then it just kind of like would trickle down i was gonna say so you're you're saying like there was almost like a which it would make sense like almost kind of like a by default well okay so you're you're the the eldest or you're the one who's kind of in charge of all of reuben well guess what you're going to be the judge of reuben you know and and then Obviously, he's yeah okay. So uh, that makes sense. Yeah, and then Reuben, you know, whoever's in charge there, he's going to be familiar with everyone in his clan tribe. So then he's going to appoint people to be in charge of over smaller people, and then they're going to know individual families and yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. No, and that makes sense. I just I'm I'm just saying it sounds like because and and obviously I'm speaking foresight here because we know what's going to happen. At least I do. I I read up a little bit. I know it's going to happen a little bit later and, and with their sinning against God and all this other stuff. So it seems like it, it doesn't sound, cause it, it doesn't say in scripture that, that he found like righteous men and women to be the judges. That's not what it says. It just says, so he heeded the voice and Moses chose able men out of Israel. So it just says able men. So people almost kind of like what you're saying, like those people that are just in that role or who have the ability to, you know, administrate kind of thing. Right. Yeah. And then he taught them and made known the statutes of God and his laws. So he taught them so that they could teach others. And that's just a smaller version of what we see that just gets bigger and bigger later on (laughs) with more people becoming involved. (laughs) 
Yeah, I'm kind of digging the name Jethro after reading this chapter. <laughs> like, we're have you, having. Have you hard... chosen your name yet? No, and oh, we don't know if we're having a boy or a girl. So it's like I I like more girl names, and every time I think of boy names, I just I don't like any of them. And I'm reading this, and I'm like, that's kind of cool. Apparently, Jethro is Hebrew, which doesn't really make sense because I don't think this Jethro is Hebrew. He's from Midian. Like, I don't think he's... He's still of the descendants of Abraham, though, correct? I don't know. I didn't think he was, but I guess he might... Because I thought he was. I thought he was of the lineage of Esau. Oh, could be. I could be wrong on that, but we'd have to dig into that deeper. But I thought he was was of the lineage of Abraham. So maybe they all spoke the same language. It makes sense. Right. That's true. All right, so let's go ahead and close out. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time in uh, Exodus once again. Uh, we love you and we thank you for all of this, Lord, just this this history, Father, and, and speaking about your law and just organization, Father, and it just it really speaks to your character. I pray that all of us who have uh, listened to your word being preached and being read, that uh, it'll all reach to our hearts, Father, and that you'll send someone our way that we can share this with later. We love you so much, and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this has been Justin. This is Susanna. Uh, Thanks for joining us, everyone. We will talk to you again next time. Now listen, just because this is the end of the episode doesn't mean it's the end of the conversation. You can find Biblical Chili on almost any social media outlet. And if you're not a big fan of YouTube, just search for Biblical Chili anywhere, and I'm sure you'll be able to find us. Or just go to biblicalchili.com. We also want to make sure we give a shout out to one of our co-hosts, Joe, who's a host on buddywalkwithjesus.com. Now until we meet again, remember, be part of the conversation. Goodbye. (laughs) There's no one real. (laughs) It's so weird when it's just two of us. Do you think they're still listening? I doubt it. There can't be that many people that listened all the way to the end of the track. Most will probably skip it. But in case you did, congratulations. You're one of the few. We love you.